the past. It used to be a newspaper. The Bob Podcast. Not outclassed. Ones on mass. Getting on my leader right up to the end of the game. The Bob Podcast. Hello! Welcome to the Bob Podcast. My name's Mark Isles, and I'm the chief football writer of the Bolton News. This is the podcast that tears open its shirt and shows Rosie on its chest. A 60-minute odyssey into the week's headlines at Bolton Wanderers. And on this week's show, we discuss an emotional few days after the abandoned Cheltenham game. The FA Cup run is over. Let's look back at Luton. Injury strikes. So does that mean it's transfer time? And which former Wanderer was once impersonated in order to rent a helicopter? All that and plenty, plenty more from the show that didn't want to go to Goodison Park anyway. Thompson stopped by Castle. Pike. Chested down there by Carter. Oh, what a mistake there by Wynn Stanley. And Carter could have a shot here, but he stopped. Wynn Stanley recovers well. Howard lets fly and parried away for the corner there by Felgate. That's the first time Howard's had a shot for quite a while. Back there to Felgate. Castle's clearance. Carter. Was played across and Howard had to make that one. He didn't. The chip's a good one and it's a goal. Bolton take the lead, a mistake there by Howard. Well, they meant that one. Love was perfectly placed, and Stuart Stora makes it 1 0 to Bolton. 15 minutes gone. Here. A terrible mistake from Terry Howard. Stuart Storer scoring for Wanderers at Leighton Orient back in October 1990, which, if memory serves, is right at the very, very start of the run. Uh, they did 23 league games without defeat. I think that's still a club record. Phil Neal's team back then could do with one of those between now and the end of this season, couldn't we? Um, right, before we get started, let me remind you of our January subscription deal at the Bolton News. If you haven't yet signed up, uh, then you can get unlimited articles, access to absolutely everything that we put out, all the video, the podcast, the articles. Um, and then obviously with the January window coming up, don't miss anything at all. So miss out on absolutely zero for £3 for your first three months. And that gives you access to a pop-up free website, which people who subscribe tell me is the very best thing about subscribing to the Bolton News. You don't have to deal with those freaking ads um, which is ironic because I'm reading one out now, but hey, uh, it also saves you money on reader offers and things like that. There's puzzles if that's your thing. Happy days. Okay, it's time to introduce the man who co-hosts this podcast and a man who just told me off air that he watched Victor Adbiejo's lob against Luton and he would have scored that no problem whatsoever. It's Henry Hewitt. Henry, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Mark. Yeah, um, I, he just needed a bit more of... He, he put too much on it. And yeah. Slightly, yeah. Slightly, but, um, he made it easy for the keeper. No, it was a, a great effort. Um, and I tell you what, what a game he had, by the way. Yeah. We could talk about it later on. Um, but, yeah, he, uh, he's... Uh, yeah, he, I was... I, I mean, I only listened to it on the radio and I saw highlights, so I'd, I've not seen all of the game. But um, it sounded like he had a great game. He did. Him and, him and George Thomason unplayable at times and gives you a lot of confidence really for if they were to step up a level that you know maybe there's a few few plays that can go, go along with that journey but uh yeah we'll deal with the Luton game um a little bit later on because obviously this week we've had uh it's been a difficult it's been a difficult week at Bolton Wanderers obviously um with what happened on Saturday and the abandoned game against Cheltenham um Ian Perslow a, a lifelong fan 71 years of age who lives in Oldham uh, passed away after going, um, well, after collapsing during the game, he suspected cardiac arrest um, and uh, and the club confirmed on Sunday that, uh, that he had sadly passed away. So obviously a lot of emotion around um, and obviously our thoughts are with uh, the family um, and his friends as well and, uh, and those people in the stadium around as well because it was, it was an extremely difficult 
day, really, no matter where you were stood in that stadium, the the gravity of it all, um, you know, it didn't really didn't really know what to do with yourself, did you? No, and and I obviously echo what you said there. Thoughts with his family, and um, yeah, it was, it was it was very sad. It was very surreal experience and i know the club of if anyone has been affected and the club have, have put out the the mind charity number and hopefully anyone that has been affected and needs that support can can speak to them but you know i, I feel i was in the ground i was in the north lower and it's uh yeah you kind of feel it's you feel you'd i don't know I, it's it's a little bit helpless is, i think a little bit yeah because yeah. ultimately and and you, you, I mean, you have to kind of detach yourself a little bit as you, you in my certainly in my position where I'm having to get the details, the raw details, and 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 be a little bit more detached about it. But it, you know, normally you are sat there watching a a game, and you are the viewer, they are the you know the the entertainers or what have you. But when when something happens up in the stand or when something kind of happens off script, it, it totally shifts and it becomes a very different thing and and. The emotions that I think we felt and, and and witnessed over the next couple of days, including social media and everything, um, it, you know, there is a kind of collective grief process, and and that's that's kind of what we saw with Bolton fans, and a lot of people who will have been affected by it might not have even known uh, Mr. Perslow, um, but because he's you know he's one of her own, one of the Bolton family, and all that, and so yes, there was like there was an impact, even even on, and, and I know Ian Everett didn't really want to talk about. The, the players or or himself and and the referee got the players off the pitch really well and, and made sure that that really didn't didn't sink in too much I don't think but it there will have been some sort of effect you, you do feel it it's just human nature to to feel it and so yeah I think it has been a it's been a tough it's been a tough time and and, and it is hard sometimes to enunciate exactly how you feel about it because obviously you may not know the the person in question but the fact that it's happened in in your your environment in your space if you will it, it does affect you yeah of course and um yeah i, I think as a, a Bolton Wanderers family we've had some knocks in you know in the last uh 15 20 years you know even you look at the the uh, incident with Fabrice and mm. you know i think uh the club does very well no matter who the ownership are or whatever the, the club does very well when it needs to do do this sort of stuff and be serious about it and i know yeah. uh, other clubs have looked on and praised bolton for the way they have dealt with it i thought you know i wasn't at the game on tuesday but i thought of what i saw it seemed impeccable what we did and um and yeah it's it's yeah it's one of those it's it's unfortunate it's one of those things it's a part of life and you you know i know it's not at a football stadium isn't where you'd expect this sort of thing to happen and that's why i said it's it's kind of a sweet irony that it's somewhere clearly that Ian loved to be, uh, you know, and it's happened there. But um, yeah, you, it, yeah, it's as I said, it's you, all of us, including the players and whoever go to the game, and you don't expect it. You know, this is what I mean as well. With like you said, there it, it happens off script, and I know that a f there were a few people. Uh, you know, there were one person in particular that I, I don't. You know, the the photographer where I, I felt okay, yeah, he deserves some stick for, you know, even though it's his job, he's, he deserves maybe some stick. But I think anyone else that dealt, you know, that were, how can I put it, anyone else that had to react to it, like me in the crowd, I don't have to react to it. You you maybe have to do if you're within the vicinity, but you're talking about physios, the yeah. referee, players, all of that stuff. You have to react to it and and deal with something that you didn't expect to happen. So I think any stick to them is a bit unwarranted and I think that's faded away since Saturday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even though maybe the you know, I'm sure in hindsight that photographer would probably have done things differently, but it is what it is. Now it's a very difficult it's a complex one. And and the there was a little bit of, of pushback as far as why didn't all the, the medical staff kind of come in from all four sides. Now there are protocols for this and this they they can't is the bottom line. The EFL regulates you know how many people are on the scene how many people go towards a, an incident like this that and unfortunately if something had happened in one of the other stands then obviously the same number of people would have been available for them so there are there are rules there are kind of guidelines as to how you 
how you deal with an incident like this. Um, and Bolton Bolton's medical staff did follow that. Um, the the photographer is um, is a slightly different incident. Now, obviously, Lee Parker, um, who is a photographer, um, was the first person on the scene and 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 started the the CPR. Um, and Lee, I think, walks out of this as as one of the the heroes of the day. There were there were a few people like that, a couple of doctors, a firefighter as well, James Bracegirdle, um, all trying to do their very best in in a very difficult situation. It was wet. It was quite a tight area. Not an easy thing to do. Um, so you know, I, I think they deserve a lot of credit out of this. It's it's extremely difficult um, as as a photographer. It's not obviously something that you want to be doing. Um, and the the guidelines that you get from this are that you shouldn't um, take a picture of the victim, obviously, or the, or the casualty at the time. Um, and a lot of the photos that I've seen. Uh, don't have him in there and, and it's obviously a lot of people's backs and, and the stewards and such like and um, I mean it's there's there's no right and wrong answer and, and I, I somebody asked me the other day you know if it was one of your family what would you say to it and I may may change my mind on that but from from a photographer's point of view they have to have some aspect of the, professionality about it in that they, they are going to be asked by whatever publication they are there to have a picture that sums up the scene um and whether that should be a lot of people's backs and, and the actual scene itself i think is is completely open to debate um similar incidents if you look uh like christian erickson at the euros or of uh, i mean i certainly remember back in the day with fabrice that there were pictures that you know, I, I seared into my memory of Fabrice himself, and, and it was awful. Um, and, that you know, they should never see the light of day. I think there's got to be some sort of happy medium between those that are sensitive to the people involved and those that portray what, a, you know, a, a serious situation is in a public stadium. So, yeah, it's it's not an easy one, that. And I, I, I don't have an answer that's going to satisfy everybody for that one, to be honest. Um, working in the media, obviously, I am sympathetic towards what the photographers are being asked to do by the people that employ them as well. Um, even Lee, who obviously was involved for 20 minutes or so, um, he went back over towards the uh, towards the south stand and, and, and kind of mopped his, his head. He was soaking wet. Um, having worked so hard and put his photographer's bib back on and, and picked up his, his, his camera to turn around and look at the scene again and then got a torrent of abuse from the people that were that were actually in that corner and there's people throwing stuff at him and all sorts and, and, and you kind of think, well, yeah, it's it's a very difficult one. That kind of, that illustrates it for me. Just obviously there's a lot of emotion there and I completely understand it. Um, but there is also... There is also that kind of professional aspect for the photographers as well. Yeah, uh, which I guess leads us on to, uh, I guess, the next topic we need to talk about mm. regarding all of this, and that's a headline uh, from an, mm. another newspaper. Um, obviously, this came on Sunday morning, and, and somebody shared it on social media. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's like you know this far better than I do, but I still know it based on talking to you and seeing other stuff. And I guess, you know, my job is in the media as well, that the the person who wrote the article doesn't necessarily choose the headline. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it does it really, again, you know, my personal thoughts on that newspaper have, 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 have been there since before Sunday, and it does not surprise me one bit with them, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of history attached to this one and, and the... The publication, The Sun, we'll, we'll name it, obviously, um, has not covered themselves in glory with what they did. The headline, um, which I won't repeat because it was, was awful, but um, uh, appeared in Sunday's print edition and they made an apology on, on Monday admitting that it was insensitive. And I don't think any right-minded person would disagree with that. Um, again, kind of working in the trade and knowing how these things happen, um, the the reporter at the scene, the Sun, are one of the very few newspapers who do cover lower league football, both with staff and with with agency uh, people. So they they do have representatives at, at near enough every single lower league game. I will say that, 
Um, so they did have a representative um, via an agency um, at the game. Um, and he sent in a report of, of what happened or the, the kind of the brief details of what happened. That would appear to have been turned round then by somebody who was on the desk because it's not his name. Um, it's a different reporter. So he will have looked at those, turned it into a story, you know, that will have fit, fit the this, this shape of the page. Um, and then normally it's not the reporter, but it would be a sub-editor that would, would then attach a headline and pictures and, and actually physically put the, the, the story on a page. Now, this, the, the page had a big advert on it. It made it very a very thin story. Um, so therefore, the, the number of words and the, the size of the words that you can use the headline are... Um, restricted um they have chosen very poor ones no question about that but that was also a factor i think in what they what they did put out there um the the club have obviously taken a view on it they already had what i would say um you know a difficult relationship with the sun i'm not sure ian ever is necessarily their biggest fan um and and so they've taken the they took the decision obviously to to withdraw their access from Tuesday um, against Luton. Will they do it going forward? It, it's a very difficult one because, as I mentioned, it's not always um, a, a member of staff from The Sun that would come in. It's, it's very often a member, an agency that could be working for more than one tabloid or more than one national paper. There could be. So it's a very difficult thing to say, a blanket ban. Um, but we shall see what the, the club's decision is. Going forward, um, it is not an easy one, but I completely get the furore over the um, over the sentiment. I mean, it was it was a very very poor one. Yeah, um, and I, I guess uh, using agency staff and stuff like that. I know it's at the very top, so it may I may be wrong in this, but that's possibly how they get in Anfield as well. Is that the exactly? It, yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess that this then moves on to, and to be fair with this next bit about the whole thing with, with BBC and Sky saying crowd trouble, I did have a bit of sympathy for them because they should have done the research, but I guess what was happening at Reading was happening at exactly the same time. It could have been miscommunicated. I assume, would it have come from the press association if it's gone to BBC and Sky and said the same thing? Well, what is, yeah, well, there's a slight, I've got, I've got a bit more detail on this one. So initially that's exactly the diagnosis I gave. It was that obviously the press association are often the, uh, the agency that is present for most national organizations and, and they produce a report and, you know, they, everybody takes a bit of it or what they see or quotes or what have you and, and use their version of it. So most national organizations, whether it be newspapers or, or websites or whatever, will have access to the press association. Um, but on this occasion, it looks like it's actually Opta, the statistics um, mm. site. Uh, so I'm, I'm led to believe that it's a, it's a kind of a, a technological one. So there is a person at each game for Opta that they cover at a certain level, um, who sits there and inputs this data. Um, and there is no button, I'm told, for um, for a crowd medical emergency, basically. So they have a button for crowd trouble delay. And that is how it happened. Basically, the same button was pushed for Reading as was pushed for Bolton. Um, and it was not either changed or amended or what have you. And so that BBC and Sky, who or the websites of these these organisations, picked up and didn't realise. So that's how that happened. It's a very minor thing, but it's a bit of a daft thing even. Um, but there's certainly no malice there. So I don't think there's... I don't think you can have too much... Um, I, I know there was a lot of, uh, of upset right at the time, but I think when you look into the details of it, it's just they need to adapt their software, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I felt it, yeah, at the time. I know everyone's emotions were a bit raw, but I would feel, I felt at the time it was um, it was just a misunderstanding. It was obviously not, not great. It didn't look great. Uh, and no. of course, people didn't want to be reading that in that situation. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, I felt it would be that way. Um, I want to say as well that, uh, and I know you, you're very, you know, you're very close to Cheltenham mm. Town, um, and 
I guess Bolton and Cheltenham's paths haven't crossed too much during, apart from the season we got promoted together, haven't passed too much during our histories. But um, you've got to say that Cheltenham, even the fans, because it's a long way to go, isn't it, for a third, essentially a 30-minute march. Mm. But their fans and their club have been absolutely brilliant, haven't they? Uh, they they really have they really have I mean everybody behind the scenes all their uh, media representatives all their you know even the journalists um, that that we we met beforehand this their staff uh, were um, incredibly sympathetic there was no kind of moaning and groaning about it um, and and I thought that the response from the supporters as well was was terrific. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, obviously, I've got a vested interest. I'm a Cheltenham lad myself, um, and and grew up with a with a real soft spot for for Cheltenham. Um, so it it obviously warms my yeah warms my heart to uh, to see that happening. Um, I'm really really glad that Bolton have made that gesture to to pay for the away travel for the game that's been rearranged for Tuesday. Um, Lovely gesture. You wouldn't think anything different, really, for for Bolton's ownership. We know how the way they operate, but it's nice. And there have been little moments, I think, over the last few days where you can get quite cynical about football. It can be a very tribal place, particularly when you are, you know, on social media and such like. But I think there have been some really genuinely warm moments, and, and it kind of helps restore your faith a little bit over the last few days. And that's um, that's one of them, I think. The, just the the general way. I know they sent a, a floral tribute um, from Cheltenham Town uh, the, the, before the before the Luton game on Tuesday night. So, yeah, another class touch from the club. Yeah, um, and it's uh, yeah, it's this is it. The football community, uh, you know, all, all comes together. Even even the fact that the Cheltenham Burton game has been moved from next week, so Bolton can accommodate. And I, I think that's it. That is the the main thing from all of this. And you see the tributes coming in from other clubs as well, because it could happen to any club. You know, it, it, I mean, it could happen at any time. That's the. Uh, it's fragility of life, of Henry. I suppose it's not even—it's not even yeah, a football thing, exactly. is it? I mean, you literally could yeah. at any point in time. It's—it's uh, mad, but it does bring it home. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, we'll—we'll we'll move on to the the Luton game because um, obviously there was going to be some sort of crossover because of the, as we say, the the, the mood that that kind of circled um, over the, the the few days, particularly um, in light of of uh, Mr. Perslow uh, passing away. So the, the Luton game on Tuesday, there was going to be a tribute. Um, and I thought, you know, it's a bit of a footballing cliche that, you know, impeccably observed minute silence and all that. But it was almost as if the whole area stopped. Um, at one point, Phil Hayes, who I, I talked to him before the game and, you know, he was very nervous about kind of delivering that uh, that eulogy almost beforehand, um, as particularly at like with the technological problems that Bolton have got on in, with the microphones and with the tannoys, which um, I think is something they desperately do need to address. I, I know the club are, are looking into it, but it's something that really does need doing. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, Phil asked at one stage, "Can everybody take to the uh, you know get to get to their feet?" And normally that's accompanied with like this like mass slamming of of, of seats around the around the ground as people stand up, but everybody was on their feet already. Everybody was was ready and raring. The whole stadium was ready to go, and it was uh, it was just a mark of it. I think the whole the whole club, the whole area was so so quiet, so quiet you could have heard a pin drop, and uh, it was wonderful. Yeah, um, obviously, like I said, I weren't there, but you, you got a sense on the radio that it was. Um... And I thought, to be fair, the the atmosphere after that in the of what I heard was fantastic, and I think that part of that was just this united front, if you will, from the fan base and and everyone. And um, yeah, it's you know it's it's a very difficult situation, and I, I felt I really felt for Phil on um, Phil Hayes on on Saturday. Mm. Obviously, a lot of pressure suddenly. It's like you said before about all this; it goes on, on off script. You know, I, I, there's a lot of pressure on him to deliver the news of what's going on uh, in a clear way. And you could tell that with his, I think his voice was croaking a little bit. But like, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, this is this is it with a club in the Tannoy and stuff like that. Is that 
you need to get it addressed anyway. We know that. But it's just for moments like this. And hopefully these are few and far between. Uh, and the irony would be that they'd get a new Tanoi and not have to do anything like of any. It'd just be reading out goal scorers' names. Hey, well, but, I, um, you'll hear him. That's fine. Yeah, that's a good point. But uh, yeah, I think I think it was very well done by the club. Mm. Everything around it, and um, yeah, like I said, you know, Dowry on the hard truth. He praised the club for the how they dealt with it, and I yeah. think other clubs have seen that, and the football community have seen that as well. So, no, very well done to everyone in a, a difficult situation. Yeah, absolutely. As, as you said earlier, they do that sort of thing well, Bolton. I think the tradition, that's where the history and the tradition, the kind of the, the size of the club comes through a lot of the time when um, when they have to do things like that. But the game itself, a lot of people kind of looked at it and said, is it is it too much? Do, do they really need a game? And it ended up being Goodison Park, didn't it? But did they did they really need a fourth round game? And imagine the, you know, the financial coffers would have said yes, but... Um, they gave as good as they got. I thought they played really well. They played really well. Um, there were a, a couple of times, maybe first half particularly, that where um, they gave Ross Barkley maybe a little bit too much space. But once uh, once they kind of got on top of him and, and phased him out of the game, there was not a lot. There was that pace down the, the side with Ogbeni. But, uh, you know, I thought Bolton were terrific. George Thomason, is that his best game he's ever had in a Bolton shirt, you think? Um, by the sounds of it, yeah. And uh, to be honest, for me, I and yeah, you're right. The the club's finances could have done with that trip to a Premier League stadium. I'm sure a lot of the fans were hoping to play Everton one last trip to Goodison Park. But I I'm think not, I'm not sure why the away <laughs> the way end at Goodison is absolutely oh, yeah. tragic. So never mind. <laughs> well, it, it'll take you back to the eighties, won't yeah, it? But yeah, um, yeah the um, I, for me, looking purely on a footballing level. Um, I think it was the best outcome for Bolton personally um, because first of all we give a, as good as we've got in the two games and it was actually came down to fine margins in both games um, which is all you can ask for against a Premier League team um, they did a perfect tribute the way they played on Tuesday full of energy full of um, you know and really got the crowd off the feet so that was good Um a few players have come out like Thomason with, uh, you know, with a stock a lot higher. Definitely. And now, you know, because I think if we would have won and then you've got to rearrange the Carlisle game and amongst other games that you've, you don't, for me, our aim is promotion and we'd love a good cut run. The nineties was filled with good cut runs, but I would rather at this point Bolton not have for, for like six games to play in two weeks at the end of the season I would rather that than a game at Goodison Park. So I think it was probably for me. People may look and go, "You've been, you've been silly." But I think if we, I know if we would have won, I'd have been delighted. But I think coming out of it, you've gone, "Yeah, best outcome for Bolton. They've proved what they can do. Shown we can do it against a team in the Premier League. Heads held high. So let's attack the the end of the season now." Yeah, absolutely. I I I was kind of of that mindset. Even if you listen back to last week, I, I felt it did feel like they were stacking up a little bit and that that would end up being the narrative that, that Bolton were putting themselves under pressure rather than enjoying the cup run. It felt, it started to feel like it was going to be an unenjoyable trip to Everton, even though there were lovely kind of shades of 94 about it and all that kind of thing. I just felt it was going to be one step too far, but they gave a you know cracking account of themselves. They've won a lot of fans, I think, with the way they played against Luton over the two games, but... The uh, Adobe Ajo, you mentioned him before, like George Thomason, arguably the best game he's had for Bolton. You can really start to see now what he's trying to be. I think a lot of people are measuring him as a goal scorer in the same mould as, as Dion Charles that we've kind of talked about before. But he, I think he is starting to realise it himself, maybe, that he's he's more of a, a man that holds the ball up and using his, his physique and his pace and, and his, his, his uh, awareness. Um, and it really came to the fore against Luton. He was he was terrific. But he also nearly scored one of the best goals there's been, really, with that, that lobbed effort uh, that Tim Krull just about caught on his line and just managed to bat back. I did think it was actually going to roll back in at one stage. But um, George Thomason as well at one stage. It was a big, long ball over the top. Uh, I forget actually who played it, but he controlled it with his head and then tried to volley it. I mean, 
let's say it didn't hit the target or any target <laughs> at all. <laughs> it almost hit like target in the US, the uh, the <laughs> the superstore. Um, but uh, it, that that in itself would have been an amazing one. But I think the two of them come out with a lot of credit. Yeah, it's, and you know, I think. Um... I think for Thomason, you know, he's had his doubters and a, a lot of people are now starting to see what Bristol City saw in him in, in Absolutely. August. And he is, you know, I think he offers something that we don't have. We have got some very good players in that midfield. And the fact that Thomason is, is the ever-present, really, him and Sheehan, uh, and then the rest are kind of vying for positions shows how good he's been. And um, I think Thomason deserves it. I think he's a, he's a future captain for us. Um, and I'd like to see him stay with us, but that's going to be very difficult if he keeps on putting these performances in. Here's one um, for you. Here's one for you. If, if Thomas is worth one million quid in the summer, what is he worth now after the season he's had or so far? Well, yeah, it, 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 at least double. And then if we can keep him in the championship and he starts putting in performances, then you can maybe treble that. So, um, yeah, it's it's great. And for Adebayo as well, he's had his stick and. I can understand, you know, there's some times where you look and think it bounces off him a little bit. But I think the last few weeks, maybe Bod Varson coming back in has given him a bit of a kick up the backside. And uh, he's been excellent. And uh, he was the other night. And, you know, maybe that sort of, this is it. I think you, you look at some of our players and you think League One is very different football to a championship. Uh, I think in League One, there's only possibly us and Peterborough that play the style of football we do, where it's that passing, high possession, whatever, especially what I've seen. I watched Derby the other night, and there's a, even though Sky was saying that they like to pass you to death, no, a lot of long balls not, from Derby. Not a Paul Warren side. Good grief. What no, research have so, they done? Exactly. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I think there's own, I think our style of play does suit the championship, and I think you could find that with quite a few players. And there's no surprise that you play against the Luton side, and we put in two of our best performances of the, the season. Um, yeah, and, and with respect to Leighton Orient and then Cheltenham and Carlisle, who we play the next three games, it's going to be very different games for us. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, just a very brief one on, on the offside goal. Have you seen a, a replay of that one yet? Because the the low cross comes in and it's very, very straight, the cross, uh, and really close to the line as well. So, both Adebayo and Charles get across it. Adebayo gets a touch. Charles looks like he gets a touch. I think if Dion doesn't touch the ball, it's a goal. Um, but we're talking about toenails width here. And, and where's VAR when you need it? Yeah, exactly. It's, um, yeah, it, I, I I mean, I've only seen the goal from the camera. You can't, yeah. you can't really judge it. And to be fair, I think uh, when it happened... And I was listening to it on the radio, and Jack Dearden and Phil Brown, they, they couldn't work out whether the, the toll had brought the got the ball out of play and crossed it in, whether it was offside. What, what we couldn't really work out because the goal had been given and then disallowed a couple of seconds afterwards. But um, a lot ref, of people at the time gave it offside, weirdly. Yeah, um, which is strange, really, considering mm -hmm. that the linesman is. But anyway, that's another conversation not the only um, strange decision of the day but i don't want to make this into a ref baiting podcast yeah but um <laughs> i think a few people when they've seen it back a few people have gone yeah probably offside but at the time i don't think anyone in that stadium thought it was offside no no right i mean the, it's been a difficult week but there have been other headlines so let's just have a look at a few of them <laughs> Yeah, so uh, if it, I mean, amongst everything, and we have forgotten it's still January, and there's still uh, a window that's open, which in this weather it should really be shut because it's freezing. <laughs> um, and uh, but Ian Ebert saying that there is a, a slight progression on a potential deal. There's mm. there's only really one, well, there's one or two names being branded about, but one in particular, um, Niall Ennis from who's at Blackburn. Mm. Um, do you think this is the slight progression on the deal, or is the is the one coming under the radar? I I suspect there is probably one 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 under the radar that they're working on, but uh, the 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 Ennis one is definitely a, a, a potential. Um, he wasn't in the squad for Blackburn at the weekend. They are definitely giving him 
the thumbs up to, to go, but he has got other options. So I think at the moment they're just trying to potentially wait for Rovers to get somebody in to be able to offset that in the squad. Um, there have been a couple of interesting ones. I mean, somebody mentioned to me this morning about Dan Gore at Manchester United, who apparently is also, um, I think Port Vale have, have been linked with them and, and various other League One clubs. He, he's been um, lauded as one of the next be- best things at Old Trafford. So that'd be an interesting one. And, and that would be one of those kind of deals that you would just have to sit and wait for Manchester United to give the rubber stamp because they don't move quickly for anybody. And uh, that's that's the way it is with the Premier League. Um, so yes, I, I suspect that we are looking at uh, a couple of loan deals between now and the end of the window, which is two weeks today. I think it falls on a Thursday. So yeah, I, I mean... We'll, we've got a couple of injury issues potentially. Does that mean that they might need more or might need to accelerate things? Maybe. As we sit here, I haven't spoken to Ian Everts um, in the last 24 hours, um, which is a rarity these days. So um, I will be asking him this afternoon to see exactly what the uh, situation is, certainly with Will Forrester, who, who looks like he may have tweaked his hamstring a little bit. So, um, yeah, I, I think... All sorts of things can happen. You never never say never at Bolton Wanderers, even though they say they're going to have a, a quiet transfer window. Um, it may yet change. We just don't know. Um, yeah, if it if it is Niall Ennis, uh, what can you tell us about him? Um, he was at Plymouth last season. Did he play in the final? He did. I mean, I think, to be yeah, fair, yeah. I didn't notice any of Plymouth strikers in that final, <laughs> so uh, I can't tell you if he did play or not. But um, he, he did well there, did he? I, did. I, I think yeah. he, yeah. So um, he's got history at this level. No, yeah, he's got. I think he was eleven goals last season. So I think he's he's of the mould of Daniel Lundlu. Certainly has a bit of power and pace about him. Um, I think it's probably as a result of Lundlu's injury that they've had to look elsewhere for that but he's definitely got that pedigree it hasn't worked for him at Blackburn Rovers those um, on my desk in fact I've got a couple of lads who cover Blackburn um, and both of them say you know he's got something about him it's just a case of keeping him fit as was the case with Dan and Lundell of course um, and you know it hasn't really worked since he decided to move from Plymouth so he's, he's looking to move back up here so um, yeah I mean it's, a, it's an interesting one I, do, do I see him going straight into the team? Probably not. I think you, Dion and, and Victor partnership at the moment is is pretty strong as the first choice one with with Yondalibov Varsen coming in and out and, and doing his bit at the moment. But uh, and and Cameron Jerome doing his, his salvage jobs towards the end of the game. I think that that, that is working at the moment. But um, you don't want to leave yourself short. No, um, and I think that is mainly the case really for it, is that uh, if there was a fit Daniel Lundelu, uh you'd think with him, Jerome, Bodvarsson, and Adebiejo and Charles, you wouldn't really be looking at a striker. No. Uh, and it is the Lundelu thing, uh, the reason why we have we have looked at him. Um, so, yeah, so we'll have to wait and see if it goes through. And as I, you know, as I said, he's got history at this level, so and he's got history as well. With a team vying for promotion, which is good, it's a different kind of pressure, so he's he's used to that. Um, but yeah, I think it doesn't surprise me that these names are sort of thin on the ground. If you think of previous years, we've probably got a few in the door mm. right now. If we t- as we talk on what the 18th of January, 19th is will go out. Um, so yeah, so it doesn't surprise me, and I think we're probably looking at one, maybe two. Um, <laughs> In the end, so it's it's uh, I, my only my my thoughts are with your deadline day blog, Mark, because there isn't much news on people going out or in. So uh, maybe you need maybe on deadline day. Uh, we obviously don't want anyone to leave, but maybe if there's rumours start, we need to look at the source because I'd feel that you may be putting some red herrings out, out there just to get some. Uh, activity on your blog listen if i could take that day off i would do it now it is an absolute (laughs) i I hate it with a passion but hey it doesn't matter um the biscuits will be in there'll be a blog regardless of because i'm not allowed to do anything different that's i'll I'll be i'll level with you if i were to turn around and say i'm not doing a deadline day blog i probably would lose my job so hey what can i do (laughs) (laughs) uh well we better move on then just in case uh your bosses are listening but uh uh, we mentioned it before but uh burton albion 
Bolton yeah. of uh, and the EFL have really helped Bolton out, haven't they? With um, the uh, so the, the Cheltenham game for those who don't know, uh, the Cheltenham game will now be played on Tuesday, which is the twenty mm-hmm. third, I believe. Um, from the from minute zero, I know a few people were maybe saying, "Well, would he play it from thirty minutes when the game was stopped?" I don't suppose much happened before no. he got stopped anyway, so uh, there wasn't need to do that. Um, and and yeah, Cheltenham were meant to play Burton on that day, but Burton have kindly stepped aside and allowed Bolton to to play the match then, which is a massive help because otherwise we would be struggling to fit in, wouldn't we? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's really interesting the the mechanics behind the scenes to make these things happen. And I know Richard Cooper, who's the, 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 effectively the club secretary, I don't think he's got a fancier title than that. But uh, yeah, uh, effectively, um, the job that Simon Marland had is now Richard Cooper's reorganising these uh, things is amongst his many, many jobs. Um, but it was certainly a complicated one because I think they've tried all sorts of different things. I think they um, looked at bringing Blackpool the, the EFL trophy game back to the 23rd um, and so that they could play Cheltenham on the 30th, but that was rejected. Blackpool didn't want to do that. Uh, they tried to bring uh, Shrewsbury forward. Uh, that got rejected. Um, so then there was a case of, well, you know, what else can we try here? And uh, and Burton, um, thankfully, um, via the EFL, um said yes we will we will reorganize our game against Cheltenham which was meant to be happening on Tuesday thank you very much for them absolutely spot on um, and, and on, even on top of that Greater Manchester Police almost had a fit because we're going to play in at the same time I think they're playing against Wickham on the same night which they do not like um, but I think that the likelihood of there being trouble at Bolton versus Cheltenham in this environment i mean i've even seen and i like this idea by the way i'm not sure that it's going to have any sway but uh fans suggesting that we invite cheltenham into the fan zone so that everybody can have a drink beforehand i love the idea of that i'm not sure it necessarily would be right for the licensing laws and all that sort of stuff but i will ask just in case that is a possibility but the chances of there being problems very very slim indeed um much slimmer than i Yeah, and uh, Wickham are hardly uh, Millwall, are they? So I think Wigan, no. um, and of course that attendance on a Tuesday, cold Tuesday night, will probably be around six thousand <laughs> anyway. So uh, yeah. I'd be more worried if I was GM uh, GMP if Stockport were at home. But, Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, in all seriousness, yeah, it's, it's a massive help uh, from Burton um, for that, and. Uh, yeah, it's good that they can because I think you know you, you just want to get this this game game over and done with and and for everyone to uh, to kind of move on in the politest way possible, you know, from it and, and mm. start to concentrate as, from a football club's point of view. They'll never forget Ian and what happened, but to then start concentrating on let's in his memory, let's get promoted yeah, of and, yeah. and you know. So uh, um. Right, other headlines. Uh, Andy Taylor has been appointed as B team boss. He was assistant at Fylde, wasn't he? he was. um, applied for the coach role, which uh, obviously he didn't get, but impressed. So he's got this. So um, it's just another another job being filled, isn't it? And of someone with some, um, you know, a, a reputation. He's an assistant somewhere else, and he's come to manage Bolton's B team. He was a decent player, Andy Taylor. He, he played at Blackpool alongside Everett very briefly. He's got a very decent track record. I think he starts off at Blackburn, but uh, yeah, uh, played plenty of league games, quite, quite a lot of experience. Um, moved in over the last couple of years after playing for Fylde into assistant manager's job. Um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, Ian Everett's talked quite a bit about getting this kind of boot room thing going and, and having a you know a stock of coaches that know the Bolton way and 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 the, the the layout of the club and so that there's some degree of succession planning there and obviously that happened with Matt Craddock he got brought through from the B team to the first team Andy Taylor may well follow the same path at some stage who knows but um yeah I'm, I'm pleased for him I'm yet to get a word with him because 
of everything that's happened this week. We were we were hoping to sit down this week with him, but I might have to push that on a little bit. It's very, very busy at the minute. But um, and in fact, I think the B team game got called off as well the other day. So um, even even Andy hasn't been able to uh, to get started. But uh, yeah, looking forward to speaking to him and seeing what his plans are. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I, and I think this is you know the B team. Uh, um, I remember when these the started it and a few years ago we were talking on this podcast about uh we're saying that actually as as great as it is and all these players that were being signed and stuff you won't really see any benefits for a few years and we're starting to see little bits trickle through um but it, it just shows how important it is it's an important role and it's important for the future of the club that we have these players someone who comes in and uh manages the players with the same ethos as what's going on in the, the first team and we can get players through because, as we've seen at other clubs, you only need three or four to come through, and then you only need one of them who gets sold for a, uh, quite a bit of money or a large sell-on fee, and it can set the club up for years to come. Let's have another headline. Uh, yes, yeah, so the last one this week, and Phil Brown, if you've been enjoying him, uh, listening to him with Jack Dean on the, uh, the uh, radio, uh, Saturdays you won't be hearing him anymore because he's <laughs> took a job at Kidderminster, um, and he's got Neil McDonald with him as well. You're getting the old band back together, isn't he, Mark? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, uh, Dean Holdsworth um, is director of football as well there. Um, oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, Dean, Dino got put in uh, a few weeks ago, and um, Phil was telling a story actually on, on the radio the other night that he, he got a phone call from Dean Holdsworth and, and just invited him in just to have a chat, to, just to talk about football, see, see what suggestions he could potentially give for this kind of restructure that they're planning there. And then by the time he'd left, he'd been offered the job. So it must have been a hell of a chat that Brownie, I mean, Brownie can talk for England, by the way. I mean, there's no question. If, if you were, if you needed company on a desert island somewhere, he would be perfect. Um, he can talk about anything for any given length of time. Absolutely amazing, amazing company. Um, so Brownie, yeah, he's, he's, he's Kidderminster in a very difficult situation at the bottom end of of uh, the National League. Um, not an easy job whatsoever, but typically for, for Phil, he's, 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 you know, grabbed it with both hands. He's looking to instill that mentality straight away. He's, he won the first game against, um, da, 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 I want to say Altrincham, but uh, it was a penalty shootout anyway. He it won the first game just watching from the stands. So this has been his first week in proper management, but he's one of the, honestly, he's genuinely one of the, uh, one of the most football-centred people that um, that I've ever come across. It's great to see him back. Um, yeah, I've just uh, checked on my app, and it was uh, Kidderminster 0-0 against Altrincham in the FA Trophy, and then they won on penalties. Do I know uh, my stuff or what, eh? You do. Uh, <laughs> Kidderminster currently in the National League uh, bottom, so he needs to come in and turn it around quite quick, but... Um, yeah, well, good luck to to Phil Brown and Neil McDonald, and uh, it's another team where we'll all have our, our eyes on the results and and hope that they can get out of uh, relegation trouble and uh, up the league. Yeah, and when he brings uh, Big Sam back as uh, his <laughs> his right hand man, the circle will be complete. Um, right, uh, well, let's let's bring you a bit of who are you? Blink, and you missed him. Who are you? Here today, gone tomorrow. Who are you? Blink, and you missed him. Who are you? Here today, gone tomorrow. Who are you? Yes, uh, just to to round things off a little bit before we do some quick predictions. Um, our regular look at the fascinating facts of Bolton Wanderers brings us, and this is an in, honestly, I, I know there's some. Some interesting facts every single week, but we've really, we've really got some dark stuff here. <laughs> we've really got some dark stuff. A couple of, a couple of really hard ones. Um, so yes, we're on the letter K. Um, if you have suggestions for uh, the letter L, surnames of the letter L, or anything that links to Bolton Wanderers, fascinating facts that begins with L. Um, this is how to get in touch. So you want to bring something up on the buff? Email Mark and Henry on the buffmail at gmail.com. That's T H E B U F M A I L, all one word, at gmail.com. And 
Sorry to the male escort who probably getting some unsolicited Bolton Wanderers correspondence from the people who spell that incorrectly. But uh, thank you very much to Stuart who has uh, sent in two pretty pretty legal <laughs> um, case. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll start with Gail Kakuta, Henry. Do you remember Gail Kakuta? I do. He was on loan from Chelsea, wasn't he? He was. He was. He was not part of the Gary Cahill transfer, for, for anybody asks. And nor is that loan uh, even a thing. Um, but actually, uh, Kakuta is an interesting one. There's loads of stuff being written about Kakuta because of the way that he came through at Chelsea. Um, he was involved in a massive controversy moving uh, from French football. I think he was at Lens um, to Chelsea. Uh, loads of, Michel Platini was involved. There was all sorts of issues with him being poached effectively. Um, but he was basically the, the best player of his generation. People were expecting him to be the next Nicholas and Elk or the next, uh, you know, Platini or what have you, Tigana. Um, so he scored on his debut for Bolton when he turned up. Um, at this point, yeah, his, his stars may be fading a little bit. Uh, he was trying to kickstart what he'd done at Chelsea. He'd, he'd played some Premier League games, but hadn't really caught fire. Um, scored in his debut against Aston Villa for Bolton, but he only played four more times under Owen Coyle. It was it was that season that Bolton got every bit of their recruitment wrong, um, and he kind of stands as one of those, those loans that just never really happened. Um, but what happened after his... Uh, well, he's playing at the the African Cup of Nations now for, for Congo, but the Congo, weirdly enough. So he's still going, he's still playing. Um, but what happened after he was at Bolton is the interesting one. 2014, a man was sentenced to four years in prison for impersonating Gail Kakuta, um, going on a £20,000 shopping spree at Selfridges and hiring a helicopter just based on phoning up first and saying a professional footballer was on his way. Can you imagine that? (laughs) You can argue that uh, it was perhaps someone impersonating a footballer who played for Bolton (laughs) under the name Gail Kakuta. Yeah, I'm Um, I'm going to have to get that drum roll, (laughs) ba-dumch. Well, uh, yeah, that's... that's, uh... Yeah, what I mean, in the Dacus Cogley, uh, I've had to warm the Dacus Cogley ometer up actually because it's uh, it's quite cold. Um, but don't yeah, tell that's me interesting. how. Don't tell me how. <laughs> yeah, um, um, I'll go with a seven. That's quite interesting. Solid that. seven. Solid seven. Yeah. Um, so the second one is a guy that you'd have to be a proper trivia buff to remember at Bolton. Um, I'm not even sure he actually played in the end, but. Somebody might be able to correct me. Uh, Berke Christiansen, yeah, an Icelandic goalkeeper, came on loan in 1999. Do you remember him? Never heard of him. No, never never heard, of him. heard of him. There may be a reason. Um, he did play for Stoke. He played for Birmingham. In fact, he played 74 times for his country, so he was quite a big deal. Um, but I think it was that spell. I think Jaskal Island got an injury, and there was about there was a catalogue of different players, different goalkeepers that at uh, the turn of the uh, millennium for for Sam Allardyce and for for Colin Todd, they went through an absolute load when Jaskal Island got injured. Um, so I think he was one of them, maybe just a bit of cover. Um, but here we go. Here's the here's the kicker. Um, according to the Financial Times in 2015, uh, Berke Christiansen was sentenced to four years in prison. Um, as part of the Icelandic banking scandal, um, forty-seven different people in various countries were uh, were sentenced um, and imprisoned in in many many cases, um, and he was one of them. He was, uh, I mean, the the the, the sentence itself or the the, the reasons um, are all a little bit complicated. But I remember at the time, I think it, it, was it Stoke or West Ham, maybe both had Icelandic owners. And it caused them all sorts of problems. It really did shatter the economy of that country at the time. Um, but yes, an ex-Bolton Wanderers player in the middle of it, it would say. Uh, right, well, that is... I mean, I don't know the guy, and I feel bad because he played so many times for Iceland and he played for Stoke and Birmingham. Um, definitely don't remember him signing for Bolton, but that is really interesting. So I'm going to give him a 7.5. If, if it was a... I don't know, if it was Steve Banks, someone, a goalkeeper who I remember playing for Bolton, or Kevin Poole, 
then that would be a 10. But um, it isn't. I don't remember him, so it's down to 7.5. To the best of my knowledge, Steve Banks' criminal record is perfectly fine. <laughs> he's, he's a good chap. And Kevin Poole definitely is all right. I spoke to him not to, not that long ago. Um, hey, goalkeepers can be surprising. You, you shocked me with uh, your Russell Holt uh, fact a few <laughs> weeks true. ago. So that's true. Uh, I won't repeat it. Listen back to that episode if you want to find out what he's been up to. I tell you what, we'll have to release a compendium of these things because I completely forget about them. People remind me all the time about, you know that thing you said about so-and-so? I'm like, really? And then I'm listening to the fact for the first time as well. It's crazy. Um, but yes, thank you very much. Keep them coming in because I love these uh, these little factoids that we're able to uh, spread around, all sourced, of course. So um, yes, don't, don't just make them up and send them in. That would be ridiculous. Uh, right, uh, let's finish off this show with some predictions. Pass us my crystal ball. What's happening next week? Prediction time. Two games before we next hit the podcast streets. Uh, Leighton Orient away from home at Brisbane Road on Saturday. And then, as we've mentioned a couple of times already, Cheltenham Town are coming back to the tough sheet. So, Henry, um, by the sounds of things, Will Forrester might have picked up an injury. There may be a bit of illness in the camp as well. Leighton Orient have just beaten the league leaders Portsmouth and are one of the form teams since the turn of the year. Does this all spell trouble? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's suddenly turned into a tough few weeks. This um, you've got Leighton Orient who are playing out of skin and deservedly beat Portsmouth, uh, which was. Unsurprising, really, with how supports have been playing. But, um, yeah, they, they've turned into a decent side. Uh, obviously, Cheltenham have, and Carlisle look like they're spending a bit of money, so they could end up being a decent side when we play them. So, mm. um, suddenly, this has turned, into my opinion, the biggest week of Bolton season. Because if we can get results uh, against Leighton Orient, a tough situation against Cheltenham, and then at Carlisle, I think we will be fine um, and I, I know that's a, a re- something I repeat all the time, saying we will be fine. But <laughs> I think there'll be a massive, yeah. I think if if we can, there'll be a massive. Um, if we can get a result on Saturday, if we can get a win, that'll be huge. And I think um, it'll really uh, it'll be one of the results of the season because they, they're playing very well later in mm. Orient. And to go to Portsmouth, I know Portsmouth aren't playing well and they're there for the taking. But to go there and win three 0 and to be I imagine quite dominant in that. I, I read of what Portsmouth fans were saying. None of them were saying it was unlucky. Uh, they were unlucky. So uh, yeah, a tough, tough game. Um, I, going for promotion, you can't really say you'd take a point anywhere. But would you? Would you take a point in this one, Mark? Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned before, I'm kind of waiting for for an update to see just how bad Forrester might be, uh, whether or not illnesses or any more injuries necessarily have, have cropped up so as it stands right now I'm still fairly fairly confident I think what you do is bring Iredale into the back three you'd shift Owen Toll across to the right hand side and then still you have a very strong team and that team played very well against Luton the other night so and you've got people like Morley like Dempsey like Bodvarsson that can come in fresh as well so you know I'm not I'm not unconfident if that is a word uh, going to, to Leighton Orient but they are definitely an improved team and I think Bolton need to absolutely remember that because the last time that we went down to Leighton Orient that was a team that completely underestimated what they were going into and they got absolutely shafted um, and that was one of one of certainly top three worst performances that I have seen any Bolton team um, and, and Probably the worst for 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 Ian Everts team, maybe disregarding the the sting of the Wigan games, but yeah, I mean the the Leighton Orient one, they were dreadful from minute one, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, they were lucky with four nil on the day. Um, and, and do you think it? You know, sorry, do you think it helps that Bolton are, are playing Leighton Orient so soon after the three two? Because we mm-hmm. we obviously started very well in that game, but then Leighton Orient kind of woke up and with a better side for the rest of it. Do you think that will help Bolton with that in recent memory? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it certainly should 
remind them that they're a decent team. I mean, there's no shortage of them, but it's a tighter ground. It's you know all that kind of stuff. It's 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 going to be more geared towards Leighton Orient. They're going to have their fans on their side, etc. It's a a game. They've had a full week to recover, whereas Bolton are obviously coming off the back of a Premier League FA Cup tie, where they have actually put a fair bit into it, and there's a lot of emotion involved. But they're good players. You know, they believe in themselves. There is that kind of steely mentality now about Bolton. They shouldn't. They shouldn't really back, be a backward step. So, no, I, I, I'm, I feel based purely on the talk around the club that they're in a, you know, they're in a strong position going to Leighton Orient. I, I think they're going to win the game two one. Um, I would love them to win the game. I would love them to get win the game two one. Uh, I think it's going to be. I'm going to be positive. I think it's going to be a one nil. Um, I think the thing is, if Bolton win this game, you've got to think as well about the how it's going to look to the other teams. So if you look at the other teams at the top of the league, if they put in a performance, I don't know, and and just get just get a win or a draw or whatever, and they come in and see that Bolton have won at Leighton Orient, it's going to be so deflating. And I think that could have a, a big a big uh, say, you know, if. It's all about, I think, mentality, isn't it? And about how it looks. And if Bolton are going to these places and winning, I think everyone else, will, suddenly it'd be like, well, Bolton are going up and there's only one space left. So, yeah, I hope they do win. And I think it'll be a massive victory if they do. Just looking forward then to, to Tuesday. Very kind of difficult game to call. It's difficult to see how what the what the mood is going to be in that. And obviously Saturday will have a very big impact on that. But if you're Cheltenham coming back to uh, the Tough Sheet Stadium, having played quite well in that first half an hour, if you treat it purely on football stuff there, do you, do you feel more encouraged that you can go and do that over 90 minutes? Or do you feel a bit peeved that he didn't get to go and build on that performance, maybe? Um, yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? And uh, because... I actually thought Cheltenham would push to play the game from 30 minutes because mm. it gives them a better chance of getting a result. I think for Bolton, you know, the game wasn't a great game, you know, of of what it, you know, the actual game, what it was. Mm. Bolton didn't play well. I thought we were struggling to to get any sort of uh, motion going. It was slow. Cheltenham had a couple of good chances, actually. So... I think for Bolton, again, like the late scenario, hopefully we can look now and next Tuesday and go, right, okay, we we see what this team is a very different team to what we played in August. We see what we're trying to do. So let's counteract that. I can't imagine Bolton's team is going to change that much, or Cheltenham's. So, yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> I think hopefully we should go into it with a slightly different mentality. Obviously, there's stuff that's going on outside of it with the tribute another tribute to Ian and stuff like that. But um but yeah, I think I think we'll be I think we'll be fine in that one because we've had this half an hour against them and gone, right, okay, we get that. We get mm. what they're trying to do. So I think this will be two nil. Yeah, I was gonna go two nil myself. I do I do think along similar lines. I think they will go to, into that with their eyes open. Cheltenham have got Carlisle as well at home at the weekend. So we may gauge just how difficult the next test will be after that and, and how much Carlisle are going to have changed um, by how they get on at Wadden Road. So, yeah, two tough ones, but I'm with you. I think this is a really, really key run now of, of three games where Bolton can either grasp the, the kind of the nettle at the top of the table or it's going to be, we're going to be surviving on our nerves because obviously there are big tests coming up beyond that. Um, if they can get you know, a, a good haul of points from these three games against teams that earlier in the season we would have been looking at this and licking our lips. But, um, yeah, it's it's a really, really big one. But we shall see. Nothing is ever, ever simple at Bolton Wanderers. We should know that by now. But, uh, yes, that, uh, it brings us to the end of this podcast, which, uh, I mean, we've covered quite a lot. It has been. Um, it's been a deep and meaningful one, Henry. It has, yeah. And, um you know, I think it's, yeah, I think this week has shown the, the football community and especially Bolton Wanderers community, we we're, we are a family and whether you knew Ian or not, and I didn't know him, I, I'd never met him. So, um, you know, I, my heart goes out to his family and his friends, but I feel when we as a family come together and when we need to, we you know, even though for the rest of the season we'll all be at each other's throats, 
saying whether uh, Adebayo should start or Bodvarsson, or whether Dion Charles should be scoring 18 goals this season and not the 17 he scored, or whatever we do, or songs at the start of games, and what you know, whatever we all argue about. Um, I think when we need to come together, we will do so. Uh, I think it's been a, a week, a, a far, you know, a, a sad week, but. One, I think, as Bolton, as a club, as a community, as a fan base, we should be very proud of of who we are and our history. And uh, and yeah, let's go and enjoy the rest of the season uh, and get promoted and win at Wembley again, which would be a perfect tribute to Ian. Well said, that man. You should do this for a living, you know, Henry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, um, no, and and credit to you, Mark, as well, because it, it, I know it must be you when you go to a game expecting to to do a report on the match and then having mm. to, you've got to, I guess you've got to speak in the right tone, in the right words. And, and, you know, I think you, uh, along with the other, you know, guys who were there reporting on Bolton, I think you all did a, a great job. And, uh, so yeah, so well done to you. Lot. Well, I accept one, but, um, yeah, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll gloss over yeah, that one. Yeah. Um, here's to, uh, here's to reporting on calf strains and corner flags from, um, from now on but uh, join us again next week where we will be looking back at Leighton Orient and Cheltenham Town and looking ahead um, to Carlisle and Blackpool in the quarter final of the Bristol Street Trophy Bristol Street Trophy Motors Motors <laughs> um, I have been Mark Isles and I've been Henry Hewitt this has been The Buff <laughs> <laughs>